This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Chris Seitz grew up playing soccer in the college town of San Luis Obispo, California. That is also where I currently call home. I grew up just 30 minutes south of Slow. That's what we call it. Uh, and it was at Slow High School where I actually scored a goal against Chris when we were younger. It's my one claim to fame. When we were younger and growing up in the central coast of California, we're about halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles. It takes about three and a half hours to drive each from where we are at. It was pretty much a soccer desert uh, at that time. Club soccer hardly existed, but competitive games were even harder to come by. Now, things have since changed, but at that time, Chris needed to take a different path in order to reach his max potential. And I feel like so many people uh, can relate to this story, no matter where you are at in the, in, in the United States, that you need to drive somewhere or travel somewhere to get seen or get noticed. So Chris did just that. And the path that he ultimately took led him to a national title at the University of Maryland as a freshman. It earned him a roster spot for the 2008 Olympic team. And it has also earned him stops at multiple Major League Soccer franchises over the course of a decade. And as of last night, it actually uh, he's was part of the Houston Dynamo's Open Cup win, which is pretty cool to see on TV. Um, in this interview, you will hear... Chris talk about what he did differently than his teammates growing up, his experience with the U.S. youth national teams, and he also, towards the end of the interview, sorry, talks a little bit about the next generation of American players. Now, the audio gets a little bit choppy at times during this interview, but I still think that it's too good not to share, and especially towards the end part that I just hinted at, when Chris starts talking about his experiences on the training field with young guys like Weston McKinney and Kellen Acosta. I feel like that's pretty valuable insight that spectators and fans and people that you know talk about the sport, whether it's you know at a local sports bar or jump on Twitter, you know we rarely get that type of experience or that type of insight that Chris provides uh, about those young stars that we are now seeing put on the U.S. national team jersey, which is in some type of way in line with what 343 has been trying to provide for almost a decade. We've been trying to tell just a little bit of a different side of the story and provide a little bit of a different perspective on, on American soccer and provide a little bit of insight as to like what the process is actually like for players and coaches that want to take this seriously. So if you are interested in learning what led some of America's best youth players to three consecutive Development Academy Championship games, Surf Cup and Dallas Cup championships, multiple league titles and promotion year after year in Southern California's most competitive club circuit, I think that you are going to want to check out what 343 offers. Because if you are serious about coaching soccer, winning games, developing players, 
That is what 343 is all about. And we offer coaching education programs for people that want to take this stuff serious. And you can get a taste of all of that by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. It's kind of a weird transition, but I feel like it's, it's kind of tied together with 343 always wanting to show a little bit of a different side of the story and then Chris offering a little bit of that the different side of the story towards the end of this interview. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Chris Seitz. Thank you for your thank you for your time, man. I guess I should start there, um, and I guess let's just let's let's start at the beginning. I uh, I reached out to you on on Instagram. I told you, hey man, like I grew up in the same area as you. I actually grew up playing against you. I'd love to interview you, and and it sounded like you were pretty pretty excited to to do an interview. And then Hector mentioned the other day that that you walked in the locker room at, like one day, and you're like, "Hey, am I doing the interview today?" So <laughs> that kind of got me pumped up for the interview too. Yeah, I mean, listen, anytime I can push soccer in, in the Central Coast, I'm all for it. And obviously, you got a platform there, and you've got a podcast out there. So uh, anytime I can talk to someone that actually cares about soccer out there in the Central Coast, it's a good thing. So I look forward to those. Yeah, man, because, I mean, you, you grew up with the same experience that I did where, you know, it was like a desert out here when we were growing up for, or when it came to soccer, there wasn't, there wasn't much opportunity, but you somehow navigated your way out of here, which is, you know, an amazing feat in itself. So I kind of wanted to pick you apart and, and figure out how you did it and how I didn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about how you remember growing up playing here on the Central Coast. So I, I I think I have to start by saying I grew up with a age group that was really into it. Um, the age group actually is a year above me, so I, I played up a year uh, with a club called Crossfire as part of SLOSC. Um, and there was quite a few teams back then, and we all played out at Cuesta Fields. Um, and then obviously up and down the coast uh, for different games. We had games against the Condors. I don't even know if they still exist. Um, they do. And and just things like that, but we always went to tournaments either up, usually down in, in down in the Southern California um, area, and we'd go to San Bernardino and Lancaster and do all those. But our age group was actually pretty good. Um, I started with Steve Zarati, whose uh, whose two sons played. His older son Justin uh, played for a different team in SLSC, and then Ryan Zarati, uh, his was his uh, his youngest son, and I played with him. Um, and we just had a good age group and a group that, that was good and found success. And uh, we kind of ran with it a little bit here and there. At what point did you realize that you yourself were, you know, on a, on a different level from, from the rest of the group? Because I don't know, I mean, thinking back, I, I, I don't remember very many people that left this area to do anything other than play college soccer. I think you're the only one from our area that's gone you know, to youth national teams and, and gone on to play a professional career. So at, at what point did you realize, like, hey, I might be on a different track than the rest of these guys? Yeah, well, so for me, um, probably around you 16 crossfire days, which was, I was 14 at the time, so I was playing a year up. Um, ODT was around, 
and ODP is not that big anymore. But back in the day, ODP was top of the line for for aspiring athletes or aspiring soccer players. And um, I actually got recruited to play uh, ODP soccer. And at the time, my age group wasn't interested in bringing me in. And the coach that was a year older that was watching those games uh, was actually interested in bringing me in. And so I went into ODP with the older age group just based on the fact that the coach of the younger age group wanted nothing to do with, with a guy that he's never seen before. Um, and then I fell back in the line with, with my age group uh, as time went and as, as trainings got more and more intense. But um, they just scouted me. I was playing in tournaments down in Southern California in the Crossfire, and um, they were out there in forces at that time uh, looking at, at players and looking at uh, it's a great opportunity to look at players from the Central Coast all the way down to San Diego and, and get a good uh, feel for the talent out there and uh, I was able to perform well. I think being from a, a smaller club, uh, I probably faced a lot more shots than most keepers, so I was able to show off a little <laughs> bit more um, of my abilities and, and just took advantage of it. Um, at that age group, it's, it's hard to think of anything else than just having fun and playing, and um, that's kind of when I was at my best of it. So at that time, let's see. So I think you mentioned it was U16, and you were playing at a tournament down in in LA. So you actually had to leave the area in order to to kind of get some eyes on you. But I imagine yeah. I imagine that you know it it evolved slowly. I'm, I'm I have to imagine it didn't happen overnight that that you became kind of like an integral member of the of the ODP thing. If I remember correctly, you became a member of the youth national team. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I played uh, U18s, U20s, and then went to the Olympics U23s and then got a couple calls from the full team. So I definitely tasted it at all levels. I didn't make the residency program, uh, but that's all right. I got to enjoy high school a little bit more and then and then go from there. So tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you handled that transition of being, you know, a high school goalie to then going to the Olympics. And I'm really curious too, Chris, if you could talk a little bit about how or who was involved in that process, maybe coaches or your parents or family or. Yeah. So, um, at that time, so after the U16 age group, we actually broke up Crossfire did. Um, and I had to join a club, uh, down in Thousand Oaks called back then they were called SoCal United. Um, they later became real SoCal and they're still around today. They're actually an Academy team now, but I joined them. Um, the majority of the guys on the ODP team were from that club and they're actually more north than any of the other teams. Um, and so it was, I was traveling down to Thousand Oaks twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, my mom would drive me down there and then we'd go back down Friday nights, uh, for games on the weekend. And that's really when it became my, my main focus and, and started to realize I'd have opportunities. My sophomore year, I started to get, um, I started to get letters from colleges and big colleges. I mean, Indiana, Maryland, UCLA, different different schools, and um, <clears throat> that's when I started to realize that I could actually take this somewhere and do something with it. And so my junior year, uh, I played high school soccer, but I actually played, and this might sound terrible, but high school soccer is more of a fun time for me, and I would play on the field and just work on my feet in um, <laughs> good conditioning. And so I would actually try and play on the field as much as I could uh, those days. Obviously, my coach wasn't too thrilled on it, um, but he would put me in goal anytime it was a big game, but otherwise, I'd try and play on the field as much as possible and, and just get better with my feet and, and enjoy the game from a different position and kind of see the sport at a different position. Um, but growing up, my 
my club coach's name was Glenn Fens. He was an assistant coach at Cal Poly for a long time. Um, and he's now, I'm not sure what he's doing. I've kind of lost touch with him, but he was a huge, a huge, um, help for me going through all that and navigating ODP at first and all this stuff because he dealt with it while recruiting for Cal Poly and, and different things along those lines. So, um, he was a massive help for me. A guy named Ian Foyer, uh, was my keeper coach growing up and I would travel down there on Tuesdays to train with Sam down in Thousand Oaks. Uh, he's, I mean, he played in the Premier League at West Ham. He's the Galaxy goalkeeper coach for five or six years when they won those back-to-back national, uh, MLS Cups. And then I just had a, a great career, and he was a big goalkeeper, kind of my similar size, and it just made sense to work with someone kind of with the same mindset and, and body shape as mine to, to continue to push me further. Um, and so those are two people that stick out to me. Obviously, Steve Zarate was my first coach who helped me uh, on the beginning stages, um, but he obviously let the club go to someone else once we were kind of at, at a stage of, of, of father's coaching. Um, and Glenn Finn took over and, and did a great job with all of us at that point. It's it's kind of like surreal listening to you talk about the the people involved. The names are are different now, but like the things are are, are still in place. Like you mentioned, Condors earlier, Slow SC, Real SoCal. Like all those things are you know still still operating. And and just to paint mm-hmm. the picture for everybody that's listening, the youth system has changed so much. <laughs> yeah, and I have a question written down about that too for you in a second. Um, just to just to paint the picture for everybody that's listening, uh, the drive from San Luis Obispo to Thousand Oaks is a, I mean two and a half hours on a good day. Um, yeah. de- depending on, on traffic going through, I mean, now going through Santa Barbara is a nightmare, but, um, but back then it, it might've been a little bit easier and we're talking maybe what, 10, 12 years ago, I think. Gosh. Um, no, it's gotta be longer than that. It was 2000. I went to college in 2005, 2006. So before that. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, 13, yeah, 15, 14 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so you went the you went the college route, and you're simultaneously you know in and out of national team camp. So you're you're kind of doing this balancing act between the college environment and then this you know national team or super professional environment. Um, how 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 were you able to manage that as a as an eighteen nineteen twenty year old? Yeah, so for me after my junior year. Um, at San Luis High, I actually transferred to Thousand Oaks High School um, and lived with a family um, who I played with. His name is Jason Leopoldo. Um, and I lived with his family my senior year. It just made sense to get more keeper training. I'd already committed to Maryland by this point. Um, and so I decided to move down there. And I, I knew that if I was going to follow my dream, I needed to find the best coaches and prepare, prepare me for a, a, a successful college career. And um, this family was gracious enough to allow me to live with them in, in their guest room and uh, go to school with their son and live with them um, and, and just train. And it was, it was kind of cool because it was living away from home before actually going away to college. And so I had to focus on my studies and obviously graduate. But at the same time, um, soccer was my everyday thing. I was either training every day with my keeper coaches and my club team or I was getting called into U18 camp to go away to Portugal or Brazil or these other countries to, to compete against the best of the best. And um, it was just a mini, not preseason, but it was like a, a mini professional career before it actually happened um, in order of preparing me for, for high-quality games and uh, going from there. And so that really led to 
me going into the University of Maryland on on a on the right foot and going over there and, and being able to help a great college, uh, obviously win a national championship and, and a lot of other awards as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you how that went, even though I know that I knew the answer, but I wanted to kind of prompt you to 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 say that you were a national champion. Um, and and then so I mean you obviously you go through a, a great college career. You're part of the youth national team uh, picture. You go to the Olympics, and then you're starting a pro career. What? Uh, so the question I want to ask, Chris, is when when did you realize that you know you were going to be a professional and that was going to be your career? And then a, a, another question that I have written down is when did you realize that it was going to be incredibly difficult to become the first team uh, U.S. goalkeeper? So for me, the minute I went to University of Maryland, um, it's a premier college for soccer, and it's obviously historically one of the best, um, especially during my, my years. And they train you to be the best professional that you can be, and it's a professional environment before before you get there. Obviously, you have academics and you have schooling and everything along those lines, but the training fields, the athletic trainers, the coaches, the mindset, everything is based around becoming professional. Um, I think we had nine of our starting 11 my freshman year actually go pro. So that just shows kind of the, the mindset of the program at that time. And for us, it was once I went there and I committed myself to to the University of Maryland but to to their project it it kind of was instilled in us to believe that it was possible um, obviously when you go through ODP you want to be on the national team and you obviously want to go pro and all this stuff but there's still so many hurdles to get through um, once you go to Maryland or, or to university obviously you have the same aspects but you have a lot of other stuff going on with academics and Maryland did a great job of balancing the two um, understanding that everyone there has a goal of, of continuing on after college, but at the same time preparing yourself in case you didn't, um, or be creating an environment for you to learn and the ins and outs of being a professional before you actually go. Um, me, Maurice Adu, and, and Robbie all left within a year of each other, and all three of us were better prepared to become professionals at that point because of Maryland and uh, how they set it up and how they had us going. And for for me, leaving college early after my sophomore season was a big move because I was still only 18, um, but I was I was ready for the next jump and, and wanted to get my feet right in the professional uh, landscape as, as early as possible uh, to get accustomed and accommodated to it before um, people my age were doing it to just to be able to get a head start and, and really try and push myself um, at an earlier age. No, man. You, what, what you just mentioned right now is, is something that's super, super interesting to me. You, you said that people, people weren't doing it at your age. Like you were, you were part of a group of a small group of guys at that time that were making the jump to the professional game at the youngest ages that this country had ever seen before. So kind of pioneered in a way. Do you ever do you ever think about it like that? No, I, I mean they had Generation Adidas and set up for a little bit. So it was about six or seven guys a year that were doing it. Um, unless they're going over to Europe, and then that's a different number. But I'm not even sure how many were doing that at the time. It's not you know as common as it is today. But we had I want to say eight in my class that were Generation Adidas players <clears throat> that were either freshmen. Well, no, they're either sophomores or juniors. Uh, leaving college 
and and going professional. And now you see it, and you I have on when I was on Dallas, there's 15 year olds on the team. You know what I mean? There's 16 year olds, guys without their license, that moms and dads are driving them to training. So the landscape's completely changed. And um, I mean, going in at 18 now, there's some of these guys will already be in the league for four years before they even get to their 18th birthday. So that's that's crazy to me to think about. But um, at the time, I was really young. I mean, I couldn't even go out and have a beer with the boys or anything like that at that age. And um, different different landscape as, than it is today, where where I think it's more accustomed. And, and if you can play, you can, if you can train and, and, and keep up, then then you're playing at that age. And uh, it just shows the growth of soccer within this country within the last 12 years. And um, I'm excited to be able to see it firsthand. Yeah, I have a I have a question written down. Maybe we can just jump to it, just just to get it out of the way. But you've you've had a playing career that's you know taken you to you know yeah the Olympics. It's taken you all over the all over the world, um, and and you've got a firsthand experience in, in watching the United States game change over the last decade. So I'm I'm curious how how you see the game now and if you see you know the good side or the bad side and and i have a follow-up question i'm going to ask after but maybe maybe i'll stop there and just and see how you react to that that first part yeah yeah i think look it's it's changed a lot um i mean it's with with the young players that we have today with colin acosta um with all these guys josie obviously josie and freddie were the first two and a guy named Danny Sotelo were really the first three that were the young stars of the league before, or I guess after Landon and, and Bees, but um, you, today's youth landscape and just bringing in young guys every single or to these last couple of training camps just shows the mindset of, of U.S. soccer and it's developing our youth. And you've seen it all over the world. Mexico did it. Uh, you see Germany doing it on a constant basis, just bringing their second teams to things to to continually grow their their player pool. And that's what that's what U.S. soccer is doing now, and they're realizing it. Um, maybe later than most, but we got a later start than everyone else. So we're trying to figure out ways to, to implement it and, and really push youth. Uh, the amount of money that Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer is dumping into our youth, youth programs is, is insane, and it's going to show massive benefits in, in the next five to ten years, um, producing more people like Weston McKinney and Kellen Acosta and, and Christian Palusis and all these guys that are that are making massive names for, for U.S. Soccer. Um but there's going to be even more of it to come, and I'm excited for it. Obviously, I hope I'm still playing during during uh, some bright years ahead. But this past couple of years with missing the World Cup and everything, it's tough. But it's also pushed us to become more dependent on our youth and push our youth even more. And and I think it's actually going to pay dividends in the long run. What is it like being a teammate of a of a teenage kid that comes in? to a training for the first time, like a Weston McKinney, who's, you know, 15, 16 year old kid training with the first team. Like how, how do you, how do you react as a teammate to that? Yeah, look, you don't treat them any differently. I mean, you, if you can play, you can play and, uh, you don't gain respect on the field by, by doing anything other than balling out out there. And, uh, if you're out there putting in the work, doing the dirty work and, and also showing some, some skill along the way, you're going to gain people's respect real quick. And that's exactly what Kellen and, and the lesson did when they used to come in the trainings at, at a young age. Um, I mean, being able to watch Wesson before he went over to Germany uh, come in for, I think it was two years basically, and, and, and train with us almost every single day as a youth player playing for the academy and, and training with the first team was, was pretty cool. And I think he'll he'll rely heavily on what he's learned through that time. Um, and obviously since then, uh, big on, on how his career got a jump start. 
Yeah, man, it's exciting to watch watch some of these guys make that jump, and especially so early too. Um, did did you or did any of your teammates? Did you guys ever try to mentor guys like Kellen or or Weston or or any other guys that were in the academy? As to like, you help you know, them. I mean, you see a guy with skill, and you see a guy that has the ability to do something special, and, and you definitely help them. Uh, you steer them in the right direction, and and all that but at the same time they have to learn and they have to be able to make mistakes and and learn from them and uh there is definitely a sense of helping them and and pushing them in the right direction but at the same time it's a professional sport where it's sink or swim and they're they're taking up someone else's spot that they could possibly be having a spot on the team and they have to learn pretty quickly and the guys that do the guys that that do learn quickly are are the ones that you that you know their names of there's other guys that didn't yeah damn that's uh that's like just a kind of like a fatalistic view. It's like it's sink or swim. Like you either make it or you don't. And and that's just the reality yeah. of it. I don't think a lot of people realize yeah. that. Well, it's, it's changed. It's not, it, maybe 12 years ago, it wasn't that attitude. And I mean, you look at a guy like Freddie who made his fair share of, of, of big moments in, in U S soccer, but at the same time, always struggled to, to stay on a team and, and stay disciplined. And you look at today's world and, and you don't hear about the same sort of issues that, that are happening. Um, within within players so these guys are, are making a name for themselves and, and sticking and i mean freddie's freddie's a good friend of mine but at the same time i think if you had the the, the mindset that we have to, in today's world and, and today's youth soccer then it might have helped him a little bit differently no so i mean to make a big at freddie i'm just trying to show a different a different idea or mindset of it oh it's so true man that's so true um the follow-up question that I had actually written down, you know, asking after after I asked you about seeing the landscape change and how everything is is different than it was 12 years ago, and we're talking about this like we're old guys, like right, like we're talking about like we're 60 years old or whatever, but it's just you know a decade ago when things really started to change. Um, but I'm I'm curious how that's gonna that's gonna impact the way that you raise your kids. I mean, you're you're a dad. You you have a family, and I have to imagine that soccer is is gonna be you know part of their life. How 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 have these changes impacted the way that you might raise your family? Um, I don't know if it'll change that much. I mean, I think I'm gonna not push my girls to play soccer. I know that I'm gonna let them do their thing. My oldest plays right now, but my 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 other one that's able to play is actually into gymnastics and different things. So I won't be pushing them into the sport. If they want to play, I'll help them. And if they ask for help, I'll definitely help. Um, but other than that, I'm going to let them adventure out and figure out what they want to do. Um, I mean, my wife and I have our parenting styles and, and uh, on how we think we're going to best get our kids ready for the future. And, and we'll go with it. I don't know. I mean, soccer's taught me to compete and taught my taught me to teach my kids to compete and stuff along those lines. But outside of that, um, just being grateful for the opportunity that we've had to, to travel the world and, and travel the U.S. And, and kind of see different cities. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, so at the end of every interview, I like to ask people, what what do people need to know? So you have a very unique perspective, you know, a, a playing career that spans 15 years that included time with the youth national team. Uh, we've mentioned the Olympics a couple times, college soccer, professional soccer. You've been a little bit exposed to the youth game now via your daughters. Um, so I, I'd be really curious what you think people need to know. Hmm. That's, a, that's a deeper question than I thought it was going to be. Um, 
<laughs> no, I think I think the the whole soccer as a whole in this country is is changing, and I think in the next ten years, uh, you look at the the strides that we've made in the last ten years, and you look at the strides that we're setting ourselves up to make in the next ten years. It's going to change completely, and it's gonna it's gonna be a lot. I mean, I think in terms of I think in terms of the amount that we've changed in terms of, of structure within this league and the amount of money that teams have been putting into infrastructure within this league, we're going to see a massive rise in popularity, um, not just not just in, in the big cities, but in the smaller cities. And you see some of the more successful clubs are actually in the smaller cities, but um, just soccer taking over in, in ways that we never thought that it would. And I'm not saying it's going to overtake football or, or anything along those lines or college football or anything, but you're going to be seeing a lot more of it. And I think it's going to be, you walk around a, an airport today and you see more soccer jerseys on young kids than you see of any football or basketball or baseball or anything along those lines. And I think the youth of America is preparing itself to be a soccer country and, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, man, me too. Um, is there, is there anything that we, that we didn't get to that you, that you feel like you, that you wanted to get out or like, a you know, anything no, we're all that... good, man. Okay, cool. Um, well, I appreciate I appreciate your time. Uh, I, yeah. do, do you? I'm I'm sure you're aware that the old San Luis Obispo Cal Poly coach is part of the youth uh, academy now at, at Houston. Yeah, I actually talked to him a couple days ago. Yeah, so he's pretty cool. He's a good he's a good friend of mine too. So I'm gonna try to get okay. him back on the podcast sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's actually been he's been hanging out in the first team locker room a little bit, so I've been able to say hello to him a couple times. That's badass. I actually He's... trained with him when he was out when he was at Cal Poly in the off season. I trained with Cal Poly uh, for a couple of weeks every off season just to keep my hand up in the same shape. Nice. That's badass. Um, cool. Uh, all right, man. Well, I, I appreciate it, and and I've always kept a close eye on your career. So you're you're the one guy that I that I that I really do follow as, as like an individual well, thanks, player. So um, <laughs> thanks, dude. Yeah. I got yeah. I got one. You you said that I might be the only professional from the Central Coast to come out. There's a guy named Charles Alamo, who's a keeper as well that played for LA Galaxy. Just to jump a oh, little shit. bit of uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of knowledge. He was a senior when I was a freshman in high well, school. That's so he funny. Actually, that... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. He went to UC Riverside and uh, then went to Galaxy for a year or two. Okay, cool. So I'll maybe have to hit him up too. There's also another kid that's part of the youth national team program right now. He's from Lompoc. Um, okay. His name's Julian. Um, he and he just transferred from a different DA to the LA Galaxy's academy. So I got my eye on oh, him nice. too. But just a couple nice. years ago, as like a sophomore, he was still playing high school soccer. Just kind of like similar story to you. Yeah. So we'll see if yeah. he makes it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, it was nice to meet you. And good to talk to you. listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to my guest Houston Dynamo goalkeeper Chris Seitz and Slow Local. It was actually pretty cool to talk to, to Chris and, and catch up a little bit about what has happened since he left. He mentioned that he hasn't been back in quite a while so maybe we can get him to come back over here 
sometime soon. Uh, if you are looking for more episodes of this podcast or looking for ways to help support and fund this podcast, you can do that by visiting 343coaching.com. And I'm referring specifically to the coaching education programs that we offer at 343coaching.com. So you can check that out. I want to leave you with a testimonial from Tom Beyer about his experience taking one of our online courses. So here's Tom's thoughts. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, if you would like to learn more about the coaching education programs that we offer, you can go to 343coaching.com. That's the number is 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening. To talk a little bit about his experience with one of our online courses, here is Tom Beyer.